Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Humanity's relentless drive to industrialization has made supply chains long and our impact on the planet and its people profound. This impact has been recognized by the United Nations and they've created a set of 17 sustainable development goals. And within these, 169 targets needing to be achieved by 2030 to enable we have a world free from poverty, hunger and disease. To reduce your organization's impact, you will need to translate these goals into actions relevant for your organization and supply chains. This can be complex to navigate. And how do you measure progress? Luckily, help is on hand uh, from this week's guest on Zero Five O and Planet Mark are supporting businesses in achieving their sustainability goals and certifying their progress. Planet Mark have now certified almost a thousand organizations who are making steps towards a better future. And to learn how businesses are making their mark on the planet, I am delighted to be joined by Andrew Griffiths, Director of Communications and Partnerships at Planet Mark. Welcome to Zero Five O, Andrew. Lovely to be here with you, Bruce. Lovely to be here. Fantastic to be on the show. So I'm looking forward to finding out what Planet Mark can do and how they're helping businesses. So let's get in there. What do you do and why does it matter? So Planet Mark, we, as, as you sort of referenced, we essentially support organizations on their sustainability journeys and organizations of all shapes and sizes from businesses to schools to universities to charities. And so we do that in a, in a number of ways. First and foremost is around looking at carbon. And it's a mark of progress. So it's a mark of reducing carbon emissions year on year, as well as uh, helping people to measure social value as well. And then we also certify sort of construction projects for reducing carbon emissions in both embodied emissions and operational emissions for, for construction projects and then products as well. So essentially, we're a support mechanism as well as a community. So all of our members are connected with one another through our community platform, which enables people to learn from others vicariously, uh, you know, what's working, what's not, and ultimately how to make progress. And, um, in, you know, in terms of why does it matter? I hope we're all in agreement that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And, you know, our, our members are a good example of, of what good looks like, really. So in 2019, pre-COVID, not COVID stat, our members reduced their absolute carbon emissions by 12% on average. And last year was 24%. So, I mean, it's the context of this is very interesting because, I mean, I've been doing the sort of environmental, in the environmental field for 30 years and, and you've been in for over a decade from your CV. We've suddenly got the world awakening to the environmental problems. I mean, God knows why it's taken so long. And, and another friend describes it as sort of this tidal wave of interest and enthusiasm breaking over us. But it's also led to a bit of an outbreak in, in chaos and false claims and all sorts of random things happening and taking part. And it's gone from being silent thing into the room to the noisy person at the party. And with it comes a series of sort of challenges and questions. And are you finding that businesses are enthusiastic but confused, enthusiastic but well-informed? How does that sort of bigger scheme of where we are on the getting to net zero look to you? Understandably, there is currently quite a lot of confusion, particularly around, I mean, there's a lot of carbon jargon, right? 
you know, you've got your, you know, what's net zero versus carbon neutral versus carbon negative versus climate positive. There's all these different terms and they can be used by different people in different ways, uh, in some quite confusing ways. And so a big part of what we do beyond our certification, we do a lot of engagement and training stuff. So we've been doing sort of net zero essentials workshops. We've just done a zero carbon tour of the UK in partnership with the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, BASE, and the United Nations as part of basically engaging the public and organizations in COP26 that happened in Glasgow just a couple of weeks back. So there is a real, real need for education around what net zero means, around what carbon neutral means and what the differences actually are. And then it's going to become about more and more about enforcement and enforcing those definitions and making sure that people aren't saying that they're doing things that they aren't necessarily quite doing yet. Where do you think the biggest sort of area of confusion lies, either with business leaders or with the public? I mean, are we or are we well informed? The biggest area of confusion, I mean, we did, you know, we did event, we did over 124 events with 8000 people in total and a significant number of whom we, we polled. Uh, we did a quiz at every single one where we, we tested people on their knowledge of, of net zero versus carbon neutral, et cetera, et cetera, after we'd told them what they were. <laughs> and even then, people still get confused because you, ultimately what you're using to sort of determine where an organization is on their journey is you know a series of statements on their website. And actually diagnosing exactly what the significance of those statements are can be quite tricky. So the key message that we've been sending everywhere we've gone is that the journey we are on is net zero. Whether you've set a net zero target or not, you've already got one, whether you know it or not. Legally, in the UK, we have to be net zero by 2050. If you're in Scotland, you have to be net zero by 2045. These are legal objectives as a country, which which by default will will operate for businesses. So it's with net zero, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And that's ultimately the journey. The end destination is net zero. That's where we're traveling to. Things like carbon neutrality, carbon negative, climate positive, carbon positive, all those sorts of terms, they're good things. But what's important to acknowledge is that they are stops on the journey, not the end destination. And you know, the, the simplest way I have of describing it, unfortunately, is visual. But the, the easiest way of describing the, describing the difference between those different ones is, let's say I'm an organization, I've got a thousand tons of carbon emissions, right? That requires that I have to manage my uh, measure my scopes one and two emissions, which is the fuel that I burn and the energy that I use. So it might just be my utility bills and my fleet. That might just be it, right? So scopes one and two is my minimum. I have to measure that and I have to commit to reducing that year on year. And so I offset a thousand tons of carbon emissions using either carbon avoidance offsets, which is things that avoid more carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere. So it's your solar farms, it's wind farms, it's swapping out cleaner fuel stoves, those sorts of things. That's carbon avoidance or carbon removal offsets. And carbon removal offsets are ones which suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So it's your trees, it's your peatland, it's your seagrass. There are some technologies, but they're very limited um, and very expensive. So today I could measure my scopes one and two, I get measure a thousand tons of CO2, I buy a thousand tons of certified offsets, bang, hey presto, I'm carbon neutral. But I might only have measured my, like if, if I was on, if, bring it down to a personal level, I might only have measured my utility bills and my car if I owned one. And if I told you I am a saintly saint of greenness, and then you found out that I haven't measured my food, my products that I buy, the places that I travel through other means, you might not think that I'd necessarily done quite enough to, to consider myself saintly. It's a good step, but it's not the, you know, I'm certainly no saint. Then carbon negative, carbon positive, climate positive, these terms aren't well regulated. 
But essentially what they mean is if I've got going back to my thousand tons of carbon emissions that I've got, instead of buying a thousand tons, I buy 2000, 3000 or 4000 tons of carbon offsets. And I'm therefore, in theory, taking more out of the atmosphere, or avoiding more going into the atmosphere than I'm putting in. So that's those ones. What net zero means, and this is why net zero is the critical one, is that the emphasis is upon carbon reductions. You'll notice that with the previous two, carbon negative, climate positive and carbon neutrality, no mention of, well, you have to reduce your scopes one and two emissions, but it, that's not that hard. But with net zero, there's a requirement that you measure all of scopes one, two and three as much as you possibly can. Not everything necessarily, because some of it's quite hard to get data on at the moment, particularly for small organisations. You've got to do as much as you can. And so I would have to take my 1,000 tonnes and I'd have to come up with, set a target to reduce that by 900 tonnes. And the only part that I'm allowed to use offsets against is the last 10% at most, which is what's referred to as your unavoidable or your residual emissions, which is the bit that you can't get rid of. Because if I'm a bike manufacturer, I can't completely get to true zero, right? It's not possible. There's some carbon emissions in the frame of the bike that I've made, right? So what net zero does is it acknowledges that it's not possible necessarily for every organization to get to true zero, but it's absolutely possible to get to net zero. But the emphasis is very much upon reduction, not the offsetting. So it's much more about the zero than it is about the net. So p- companies or people that are rushing out at the moment and offsetting all of their carbon emissions, actually, that's just a short term fix. And it's not going to get them to net zero because you're only allowed to do 10%. Exactly. So gunning for carbon neutrality as a short term measure whilst you're on your journey, but it's got to be framed as a step on your journey to net zero, because otherwise you're, you're not actually working towards the thing that you legally have to be working towards. And there's a real ripple effect coming out from COP26 and a number of recent changes, particularly in the UK. So first of all, there's been voluntary, you know, organizations voluntarily getting on board with net zero for quite some time. So, you, you know, Microsoft and Salesforce have embedded into every single one of their supplier contracts you must have a net zero strategy within the next couple of years or we will replace you. Two or three weeks before COP26, Tesco's sent an email to every single one of their suppliers demanding four things. We want your carbon footprint by the end of the year. Gave them two months notice. Thanks for that. (laughs) We need you to have a net zero target by the end of 2022. We need you to have a a net zero strategy with a science-based target that includes a 50% reduction by 2030 by the end of 2023. And by the way, if you haven't switched to a renewable energy provider, would you do it already? That was their fourth point. So Tesco's have done that to all of their suppliers. So if you didn't already have your carbon footprint and Tesco's for many SMEs, it can be one of their biggest clients, right? Certainly one of their most valuable clients in terms of uh, brand and reputation. They could be due to lose their biggest client if they aren't able to scrabble together a robust carbon footprint within a couple of months. They're suddenly scrambling to get something that they haven't done before. Whereas our members who received it took one look at that and went, brilliant, there you go. <laughs> Jobs are good. Submit. We're good. You know, there's big risks coming down the pipe for, for organizations because the big and two two major changes that are now mandating this. So that was these are all voluntary stuff that's happened, right? Two big changes that have happened recently. First of all, any government contract, whether that be healthcare, education, defense, whatever it might be, c- local councils, if the contract is worth more than £5 million in total, the organization bidding has to have a net zero strategy in place or they can't even play. They can't even bid. SMEs might not be going for a £5 million contract, but is one of their larger clients doing that? Quite possibly. The second big thing that's happened is that uh, during COP26, Rishi Sunak announced that all listed companies and financial institutions in the UK 
now have to have a net zero strategy by 2023. A third of those institutions already did, but that's going to bring on the remaining two thirds. And so if they weren't already, these organizations are coming to their suppliers saying, I want your carbon footprint and you need to be reducing. So there's this ripple effect coming, which people aren't necessarily prepared for. And they're going to their suppliers because they need to understand what the scope three impact is. Is that right? Exactly. Well, you know, as much as particularly for larger organizations, but to be honest, for for most organizations, as much as 90 to 95 percent of your carbon footprint is likely to be in your scope three. Because remember, your, your scopes one and two is the fuel that you burn and the energy that you use. Scope three is everything else. It's commuting. It's your supply chain. It's business travel. It's waste. It's paper. It's where you put your money. It's your pensions. All of these things fall within scope three. Presumably, you talk to an organization, you work with an organization, one of your members, one and two, relatively straightforward because they can see on their utility bill, they know how much fuel their cars, if they've got them, are burning, etc. How do you then work with them to get their scope three? And is the scope three certified as well? What's the process for doing that? To begin with, scopes one and two isn't always super, super straightforward for all organizations, particularly if you're in hosted accommodation. So there's a big piece around the, the role of landlords, actually, in, in helping facilitate this process that, that, that we work on quite a bit. But scope three, there's a range of low-hanging fruit within scope three in that stuff that you can well within your control and that you can measure quite easily. So waste uh, is a good example, you know, great example with first mile. If for first mile customers, particularly if you've got a commercial pickup from an office location that you control, chances are you'll be receiving, you know, an invoice each month which actually tells you the weights of stuff that you've done. And you can use that to calculate your carbon footprint from your waste. Paper um, is another good example, which can either be done again through your recycling weights, but also it can be done uh, through your procurement. I.e., you know how much paper you've bought and you can, you know, that's there's your carbon footprint for paper. Business travel. You're expensing your business travel stuff. So you've got that data. You know, you, you no, no one's just, you know, letting business travel go under the radar and not thinking about it at all. It, it's relatively straightforward to pull that kind of information together. For small organizations, things like commuting can be quite straightforward because it's a simple survey of your staff, understanding what commuting choices they tend to make. When you set your ambition around measurement, it's about looking at what can you reasonably gather the information for and also what is likely to have a significant impact on your carbon footprint. And you measure as much as you can. And then year on year, it's not just about raising your ambition in terms of what you're looking to reduce. It's about raising your ambition in terms of what are we going to measure next year? Let's take on, let's add commuting. Let's see what we can get to in terms of X, Y, Z. But ultimately, the scope three piece is going to become much, much easier because at the end of the day, every organization's scopes one and two emissions are another organization's scope three emissions. And so if all of us were just, if every single company in the world measured scope one and two, scope three becomes a data sharing exercise. It becomes a, you know, a ripple effect of you share data onwards and that tells people what, in, in, you know, it becomes much more straightforward. And our manufacturers and businesses and organizations in developing nations where we, you know, lots of our supply chains in the West reach into developing organizations, are they measuring one and two or is it just not on their radar at the moment? There's a lot more to be done, but it's certainly happening. So a, a number of our members will we'll support them with their supply chain. So take one and all. They make uniforms and for, for school uniforms and, and business un professional uniforms and things like that. And they've got a whole range of suppliers all over the world. It's fashion. It's, you know, so the, the fashion supply chain is quite a lot 
over broad. And so we do supplier chain engagement workshops with their suppliers, and then we support them with getting their suppliers doing their carbon footprinting and reporting onwards. So Tortex Garments are another one of our members who are a supplier of uh, one and all, and they're based in Egypt. So the ripple effect is moving outwards, and particularly now that larger organizations are having to do this, the ripple effect is only going to get more more extreme where, you know, if, if someone wants to be supplying a Burberry or, you know, Gucci or a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's with, with fashion garment type stuff, they're going to have to be reporting stuff or else they won't, they won't get access to that business. And so there's huge opportunities for those who are on the right side of history with this thing. And then huge, huge risks for those who aren't because of how quickly the rug could be pulled out from underneath them. And all of this is tied back to the Sustainable Development Goals as SDGs at the United Nations. But if you sort of read through those, there isn't that much mention of carbon neutrality. So how do you square the circle back to the sort of SDGs, which people might have uh, looked up or they might, their organisations might be talking in terms of how they impact those SDGs? Or is that something that you're not being involved in, in what you're doing? The Sustainable Development Goals are an amazing framework. They were created for, for what's known as multilateralism, which is, and they're sort of one of the best examples of multilateralism, which is basically how international governments agree upon targets, goals, and measures that they're going to use to, to monitor progress and stuff. And so that's, so they were created as a framework to operate for international governments. That's an important thing to first recognize. Now, what bit, what's useful about them is then how do businesses and organizations and communities tie into those? Because if, if it's an international framework, how do we make them relevant for businesses? So things like carbon, carbon, carbon emissions fall under largely, they have relevance in a number of areas, but largely it falls under one of the SDGs, which is goal 13, which is climate action. Right? So climate action, that's all you know, about carbon, carbon emission reductions. COP26 summit, the conference of the parties is about is specifically about climate change and so they tend to focus very heavily on carbon emissions it's just one of the sdgs but it's important to note that sustainability is about more than that it is about the social value that you create as an organization it is about the way you interact with your local communities it's about providing good work opportunities it's about you know equality diversity biodiversity how we affect our oceans, our waste, um, all of these different things. So there are 17 sustainable development goals in total. And at the moment, the primary way in which organizations interact with the SDGs is that, you know, if you look within a Planet Mark report, we tend to sort of take various act actions and activities that a business is involved in. And as part of their report, they'll say, we are doing things that contribute towards these SDGs, SDG 1, 3, 7, and 13, right? Whatever it might be. So people sort of declare an affinity, but currently, apart from climate action, there's not a particularly data-driven way to report against, as an organization, how you are responding to each of the SDGs. At COP26, I, I joined a roundtable with a non-profit entity that's been set up as, as a large collaboration between PwC, Microsoft, the Institute Directors, uh, and many more. It's called rewired.earth. So you can look, re, look up rewired.earth. And what they're aiming to do is to, in a progressive way, develop data-driven methods for, for us to literally have a traffic light system for uh, where organizations are or each of the SDGs. And if you don't have any data to support what you're doing, you're red. <laughs> 
And so starting to build up a, a picture of, of, of what a data-driven approach to that would look like, because it's becoming more and more important for financial institutions and financing and things for us to get strong indicators for ESG that is broader than simply carbon. Yeah, and I think that's really important because also you've got a lot of the debates around carbon. You end up going down this very narrow track of what it's about energy and we have to, you know, have electric vehicles and electrify the grid and turn to renewable energies, which is important. But actually, it then tends to sideline the other SDGs, which is about poverty and ethics and social justice. But also, there's a massive amount of um, areas around getting to net zero, which aren't just about energy, they're about how we make things, they're about the circular economy, they're around recycling. So I think it's important to have that broader discussion. Are you finding that businesses tend to be focused on energy first? Is it the easiest thing to understand? Or are they looking at recycling first or circular economies? Where do you end up? I mean, uh, when people come to us, they'll be at different stages along their journey. I think that's the key thing. Every organization is on this journey, whether they acknowledge it or not. But the key thing is, where are you in terms of your development that journey? And one key you know, thing we will always say is, is, you know, don't try and take on everything at once. You will, you can overwhelm yourself that way. There always is low hanging fruit. If you're not using a renewable energy provider already, sort it out, especially if you're in the UK. In other places around the world, it can be more challenging. But in the UK, there is really no excuse. You will probably almost certainly save money by doing so. So renewable energy is a low hanging fruit, but there are lots of other pieces of low hanging fruit. So recycling is a key one. Before I joined Planet Marker a few years ago, I worked at an organization called Astute Electronics. And when I first joined, I discovered that they they weren't recycling. And not only that they weren't recycling, but this was something that was irritating a large number of employees who would moan about the fact that there was no recycling bins in the office and stuff, but no one had done anything about it. <laughs> and so I, I went and I said, look, give me the bills for our waste for the last year and I will go out and I will solve this problem. And I, well, actually, I'll, I'll just look into it. I'm just going to look into it. I'm going to find out whether or not I can save us some money. Organization goes, so if we recycle, will it cost less money? Well, yes, because recycled waste is, has value. Non-recycled waste does not. And so we were able to save £1,000 a month on our waste bills by starting to recycle. And we, sh we went from recycling nothing to directly recycling around 87% of the materials that move through the business. And the remainder was then used for waste to energy. So it went from being a you know 100% landfill company to a 0% landfill company in the space of about a month. And all it cost was putting in some bins. And I love this. No I mean, amazing. And I love this notion that if everybody does that, then your scope three suppliers will also be recycling if you're looking at that from a scope one and two perspective. Yeah, exactly. It, it flows all the way through. And so that's why the benefits cascade down. And so people want to work with other organizations who share these values. They want to. And more and more and more, the economic incentive and imperative for that to happen is going to become more and more persuasive to the extent to which. And the, and the real risk that people have is you have to ask yourself the question, if your biggest customer sends you that email where they say, I need your carbon footprint in two months time, and actually I need you to demonstrate that you're reducing your carbon emissions because I need to know that you're on the right track. How long is it going to take you to prove that, right? So first of all, you've got to measure your baseline. But if they've asked you to demonstrate carbon reductions, so you've got to measure your baseline, then you've got to put in a bunch of initiatives and projects to demonstrate reductions, and then you've got to measure it again. At minimum, it's going to probably take you a year, you know, somewhere between 12 and 24 months is what you're looking at. Now, the sorts of deadlines that these people are going to start applying because they have to have this in order by 2023 and they've got a very big supply chain to deal with, they're going to push hard. And they, you know, so there's a huge risk here where you, if you leave it too late, if you leave it until someone asks 
for something from you, you may find that they don't give you the time that you actually need to do it. And that's a huge risk for, for many organizations out there. And it's an opportunity for those who've already got on the right side of it because they can then muscle in and say, hey, if any of your suppliers are dropping off, off your supply list, you know, we'll be a verified supplier for you. Here's all of our data. And um, with Planet Melt, then, is it a case of you're giving your members certification to say they've done both of those things, they've measured and they're on a, on a roadmap to reduce year on year their emissions? Yeah, precisely. And, and you know, where, where people need a bit more handholding, a bit more support to sort of come up with the net zero strategy to do all those things, we, we provide that support as well. But most critically, I think, is the recognition that, that actually the, one of the most valuable things that we can do for our members is to just get out of the way. <laughs> by which I mean, you know, we have a community and, you know, they can come to us and ask questions about reducing their carbon footprints on things. But if you've got a question about, you know, I want to switch to renewable energy providers, anyone got any, or I want to put solar panels on my roof, you can come to us and you can ask that and we'll have some ideas and, you know, we've got experts in a wide array of fields. But what's going to be more convincing to your board is actually if you can put something out into the community of people and go, hey, has anyone else put solar panels on their roof? What did it cost you? What was your return on investment? What was the payback period? Because that's ultimately hearing the tangible examples and experiences, the carbon stories of what other people have been doing is really what helps people on the journey. And you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, What worked? What didn't? What lessons did you learn? What would you do differently next time? Those sorts of things are things where actually we just get out of the way and enable people to connect with one another. We can all accelerate ourselves as a collective because ultimately, I've, you know, I've talked a bit about the competitive advantages of this, but fundamentally, you know, the, the United Nations Race to Zero campaign, which we're partnered with, I love it as a metaphor because it is a race and there is a competitive element to it. There's, there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers in this race. However, it's really, really important to recognize this is a race we will all win or we will all lose together. And so it's very much in our interest to get everybody across that start line. And so engaging with our suppliers, our customers, our employees, our friends, our family on this and, and making sure they're in the race and actually holding hands a bit and, and you know, supporting people. Absolutely. And that element of community and sharing is really important because at the moment we've had lots of leaders stand up and publicly say, you know, we are going to be net zero by 2035, 2040, whatever it is. In the case of Microsoft, going back to 1975. But then they need to bring their teams with them. Everybody needs to be talking about this. Everybody needs to be communicating about what the barriers are, what the opportunities are, how they've made a change. So that sense of community is very important, which brings us very nicely and swiftly onto the Zero Carbon Tour, which was a, uh, a mammoth road trip of communications and um, goodwill. Tell us a little, about, a little bit about that and, and how you ended up doing the Zero Carbon Tour. I mean, the seed of the idea came from from a marketing team brainstorming session in December last year. And it was initially because Planet Mark, we, we, we rebranded the start of the year as the initial seed of the idea was we'll travel around the country and we'll go and visit our members in like a minibus or something. We're, we're just gonna we're just gonna go and visit various people. And you know, you know, as as all good seeds do, uh, you plant them and they start to grow. And um, uh, a few sort of key meetings where so I, I I also chair the Institute of Directors National Sustainability Task Force. And that led to me being part of a sort of roundtable task force for for government for Bayes on the you know how to how to engage SMEs in COP26. And I went into this meeting, and we were asked to share you know five minutes five minutes what we were planning on doing to help raise awareness of COP26 and what we we're going to do. And I said, well, we're, we're going to be doing this tour. 
And we're going to travel around the country and we're going to engage people around net zero. We're, we're partnered with the United Nations Race to Zero campaign. And so we, we, that's what we're going to do. We're going to travel around. And, and they sort of went, that sounds good. We've sort of been waiting for someone to be doing something like this. Can we have another conversation, please? You know, the long story short, that basically led to us running one of the major sort of policy and, and public engagement campaigns for COP26 in partnership with government to get people engaged. And, and it became much, much, much bigger than I think any of us ever initially imagined, because that, that initial conversation with Bayes took place at the end of March. In June, we did our first two weeks on the road. We went down to, to the Eden Project. So it's very fast-paced. As so we did a two weeks down to Eden, down to Cornwall for the G7 summit and back up again. And that was kind of like our little pilot leg, because then we had you know two or so solid months of planning to then launch 31st of August, our bus. And not it wasn't just a minibus, it was a coach, massive big coach, an electric coach, fully electric. And so we traveled all over the UK in electric coach. We did a, actually, it was a double decker hydrogen bus in Northern Ireland, which is amazing, made by the right bus company and, and supported by TransLink. So we, we traveled all over the UK in zero emission vehicles. We had over 8,000 people come to events. We did went, went to 124 different locations, I think was the, the final metric. And we had gathered over 200 case studies, carbon stories of what people were doing on video, which you can go and you can see on carboncopy.eco. There are over a thousand tangible case studies of what organizations and communities have been doing to reduce carbon emissions on there that you can go to and you can just access and filter and go, I want to see what an organization of a similar size to me in a similar industry has been doing to cut carbon and save money. So we gathered all of those in partnership with councils all over the country. So it went from being this sort of you know little idea of, you know, let's go and engage with our members to being something where literally hundreds of people worked on this tour because everywhere we went, we were partnered with the councils, with local business organizations like the Chambers of Commerce and CBI, FSB um, and the IOD. It's the biggest thing I've ever worked on because in total, we were on the road for three and a half months, 14 weeks, whilst COVID was still a thing. So actual in-person events, all of which were hybrid, so you could broadcast online and in person. So yeah, it, it's been a hell of a journey and a hell of an experience, but it's it just you know just incredible and quite hard to distill into short sound bites. Brilliant, sounds great. Well, loads of material. I'm definitely check out those sites. We'll come back to it in a second. So before we find a little bit more about Andrew the person. Just want to ask the last question around the sort of um, marking of getting to carbon neutrality. So BSI, BSI kite marks, most people are familiar with, a little kite mark on the corner of things to say it's a, of a safe standard. Are we at risk where there's lots of different organisations like Planet Mark who are trying to almost corral this sort of wild terminology and get people to have a set of standards around achieving carbon neutrality? So there's B Corporation, and I'm sure there are others as well. Do we need to have some sort of United Nations standard that we work towards around carbon neutrality? Or is that already a thing? Or are we at risk of having too many organizations sort of with their own understandable view of what carbon neutrality looks like? Net zero, so, I should net, say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is, I know and this is the thing where, and that's exactly it, where we end up with these conflicts in terminology where it, it's just, it, you know, I, I think I remember... There was a particular council, I won't name names, who had their, they had their sort of like sustainability report and their targets for this. And it, and the, the headline, the, the, the title on this brochure that they had saying all the wonderful things they were going to be doing was something like carbon neutral, 
the path to net zero or something. It was something where basically just it was a conflict in terms within the very title. I'm going, oh, God. But that's that is actually because net zero up until this point has largely been the way we've defined it, because we're quite closely connected with lots of other organizations and institutions. And all of us were working very closely together, like the UN and the Race to Zero campaign and others to say, what is the gold standard? Where is this moving? Unlike carbon neutral, which does have a specific piece of legislation past 2060 governing it, net zero hasn't had that up until this point. The week before COP26, the Science-Based Targets Initiative, which is you know a, a non-profit offshoot from the UN, you know we all hold in very high regard, released their standard for net zero. Fortunately, because we're very closely linked in with all these people, ours that we'd been operating to for a few years matched with pretty much perfectly. We were we were doing it so. Alignment around these things is really critical. This is a kind of a, a kind of strange industry because fundamentally it touches every sector, every industry, every organization in a way that few other challenges and issues do. Because fundamentally, businesses make money by solving problems. The bigger the problem, the more complex it is, and the more people that it affects, the greater the market opportunity. Right? Name a bigger potential problem than the risk for human extinction. You just can't do it. And so any organization in any industry who finds meaningful solutions to these challenges for their niche is going to do very well. And so we, we take a very non-competitive view of this, which is that, you know, when we do events and stuff with, with you know, we host events normally. And before I joined Planet Mark, I went to Planet Mark events. And I always loved that there was always a slide in the deck which said, if not us, them. And it's basically saying, look, if we're not right for you, if we if you don't feel the right affinity and you know a mark of progress against carbon reductions isn't right, and you just want carbon verification and you just want, yeah, rubber stamp, this is my carbon footprint, that's it, then great, you know, go to carbon trust. And so we we would actively signpost to people that many might consider our competitors, because ultimately we're here for impact. That's what we're here to do. And if we're not right for you, the key message is don't do nothing. Do something with someone. If you, you'd like our support, we'd love to. If not, use someone else for crying out loud. If there's someone that's, that's better suited to meet your needs, then do it. Things like B Corp, we love B Corp. We're big fans of B Corp. In fact, we, we were invited along and to, to sort of support an event that they did during COP26 or around their boardroom in 2030 campaign. And actually, many of our members are B Corps or are on the journey to becoming B Corps. Because B, B Corp is, is a broad framework, which, which you know, essentially you're, you're filling out kind of like a survey uh, around all of your policies and procedures and, and various things that you're doing. And Planet Mark certification helps people to demonstrate credibility in some of those areas. So it demonstrates you've got an environmental management system and you're making carbon reductions and things. So we actually work, we're quite sort of, we work in harmony quite closely with, with, with B Corp and B Corp. So, you know, in terms of where it's going to go, I think there is a proliferation of things coming out onto the market at the moment. I think that's good because where there's opportunity, more and more comes around. But I do think that probably towards the end of next year and, and the beginning of the following year, that's when we'll probably start to see consolidation in the market where people will start to focus in on, on a certain range of marks and certifications as being the most widely held standards. I don't think it will be something that will necessarily be government regulated or something where like the government go, right, we're going to have one certification to rule them all, which is government backed, because I think they know that, that when they do that, it tends to get, it tends to go wrong. <laughs> it has, yeah, too much, too much, too much involvement. Yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's sort of like, in effect, we have got many, many 
environmental organization selling a single product, which is, you know, net zero or saving humanity. And there's many, many customers and many different routes to that. And, um, you know, as you say, we all need to work together with it. And the key thing is for people to, whatever you do, don't do nothing. And also it's important to recognize there, there are lots of different sort of things within this because there's your organizational carbon footprint is one thing. Then there's, you know, in the construction industry, if you're building something, there's the construction, you know, there's construction certification. Then there's, you know, sometimes there are particular activities that organizations do that they want measured, like events, or we want to measure a comfort of an event. So there's a, there's a lot of different spaces within this. And, you know, ultimately, I think what we hope to achieve with Planet Mark is to be something that can meet needs across the spectrum. And so give equipping people with meaning that they can have a one-stop shop. So if you are a developer, we can support you with your construction projects and we can measure you as an organization, and we can support you with your events. And so being able to sort of, meaning they don't have to go to three or four different places for three or four different things, but equally, if there's someone who they feel matches their need better, great. We always support that. Brilliant. Planet Mark, amazing. So Andrew, really interested on this podcast to find out, you know, put a huge amount of effort and time into the podcast. For me, thank you. And super interesting to hear about Planet Mark, and you're very knowledgeable in this area. I mean, what on earth happened in your life that got you into um, saving humanity? Purpose is one big thing. I mean, it's like if, if you've got to have a reason to wake up in the morning, why not Why not have that as being it, right? So, so it had been something, it was an itch. I did my degree in psychology, actually, and I fell into healthcare. I spent most of my career in healthcare. And everywhere I went, sustainability was something where I was always that person, that employee within an organization who was going like, like astute. I was going, why are we not recycling? Give me the thing. I'm going to do something about it. That had always been the case. And so it had been this itch within me for quite some time that I was, you know, it probably sat with me for about five years. And so when I decided to do a course with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, which is absolutely fantastic. I recommended, recommend their, their courses to anyone. They're short courses, eight weeks long, all online and just absolutely fantastic. And so that really helped me get to grips with, you know, the fundamentals of business sustainability in a more academic way, I would say, but in, in actually in a way that was very relevant. And it was done in a way that made it relevant to business that you could translate it into, into the working world. And so that was really positive. And, and I'd been a fan of the Planet Mark for quite a number of years. The, the kind of ironic thing, I've been to every single Planet Mark Awards that's ever happened. I think this year was the fourth or fifth year that, that they've been doing them. And I've, I've been to all of the others, even though I've only worked for Planet Mark since you know, July last year. And that was just because I, and I wasn't working for a Planet Mark member. I hadn't brought them any business. I was just a big fan. So I kept on getting invited to stuff. And genuinely, there are, there are team photos from events where I, I'm, I'm often the last person at events because I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert and I like being around people. And um, <laughs> there are genuinely, there are, there are photos of the whole team from a couple of years, you know, three years ago, which have me in them. So yeah, I, when the opportunity arose where Planet Mark were in need of my skill set around community digitization, partnership type stuff, I leapt at it. You were already already there, already the team. Yeah, I'd already knew everyone pretty much. Although it's you know, I already knew everyone when when I joined. But you know, when I joined, we were twenty people. Now we're more like sixty a year on. So it's growing astronomically. We're on an exponential curve, and I don't think we fully appreciate necessarily what the tour has done yet. But we, I, all I do know is that we went from having you know about sixty inbound sort of leads in August to 700 in September to 1,050 in October, and the November stats aren't in yet. 
That's that's some great. We, this, it's all. It's almost like we've rehearsed this po- this podcast, Andrew. So the next question is, what would success look like? I mean, obviously, there's been significant impact in the last twelve months. But what would you know? What would success look like, and what's the biggest hurdle to getting there, in your view? The wonderful thing about sustainability is, uh, particularly in terms of the environmental side, is we know what the measure. We know what success looks like. We know what measurement looks like. It's measurement and science that has been able to tell us that ninety nine point nine percent of scientists agree that climate change is a man-made and b going to cause us some rather bloody significant challenges in the next you know 10 years let alone 2030 the magical thing about that is that equally the reverse can be true we can reach a stage where 99.9% of scientists will agree and 99% of papers academic papers will agree we've beaten the climate crisis the worst is past we have successfully mitigated the worst effects that's possible the thing that I sort of tend to visualize in my mind, because it's always nice to sort of create a visual, is I imagine myself, you know, in a huge sort of conference center, thousands, tens of thousands of people are in here. And there's a whole bunch of people on the stage in lab coats because they're scientists. Now, climate scientists don't wear lab coats, but, you know, it helps with the visual. But, you know, they're wearing lab coats and, and someone steps up to the podium and they say, we've done it. That moment is possible. It is possible for us to experience that day within our lifetimes if we choose to as a, as a collective society. We will be either be the generations who have overcome the largest challenge that any species has ever faced. This is a phase that pretty much all species, you know, intelligent species would, would reach, the point at which they potentially bring about their own destruction by growing too quickly and, and, and polluting. We could be the first species that we know of to overcome that which would be a remarkable achievement within our lifetimes, or the other choice is that we are the generation who will oversee and will have caused the, the downfall of our species. Pretty binary in terms of success, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, a massive year with COP being held in the UK this year, zero carbon tour for you. What's coming up in the next uh, 12, 24 months that you're most excited about? We've built a lot of relationships this year all over the UK. We've done, you know, net zero carbon essentials workshops, CPD accredited with thousands of people. And so I think we want to build upon that and continue to act as a support mechanism for people to understand, to, to start to get to grips with the edu- help with that education piece, understanding the challenge, where they are and what they need to do and build upon that. So I think we'll be doing a lot more in the UK. There'll be a lot more sort of local presence from Planet Mark coming out and doing stuff with local communities in different places around the country. You know, our annual awards will always be a big focus for us. I think we'll probably look to do a conference uh, of some nature in Q2 next year around, you know, bringing people together largely to share stories, actually, because with the tour, one of the most phenomenal things we found was the moment that people sat up and started writing notes and listened and were just sort of, you know, really, really attentive was the moment that someone got on the stage and said, this is my company. This is our turnover. This is our industry. This is our carbon footprint. We did this project to reduce our carbon emissions. This is what it costs. This is what we did. This is what worked. This is what didn't. Here are the lessons that we learned along the way. People just go, oh my God, give me more of this authentic and tangible examples because that's what inspires people. You know, like one example of the hundreds that we've heard is the commercial group who are based in Cheltenham. They do office supplies. So everything from an entire office fit out to the paper that you use to electric charge points you install. They do tons of stuff, a lot of product, a lot of product in there. And yet, since 2008, they have grown sevenfold as a business. They've grown, they've grown seven times over. They're now, I think, turnover about 80, somewhere between 80 to 100 million or something like that, right? 
They've grown sevenfold. In the same period of time since 2008, they've reduced their absolute carbon emissions by 75%. So they're seven times the size with 75% less carbon footprint. That's phenomenal. And there's a lot of stories in that that other organizations are going to want to know (laughs) because it's going to help them accelerate their own journey so it doesn't take as long. So we want to share that. And I I think my personal view is I think a conference where we bring everyone together to do that would be bloody amazing. Storytelling, not Excel spreadsheets, much better place to go. Definitely. Exactly. We are running a little low on time. So if you could ask people to do just one thing to help tackle climate change, what would it be? Understand your most carbon intensive activities and take action to limit them. Using public transport, cycling places, looking at energy efficiency measures at home, they will save you money in the longer run. Insulation, you know, solar panels, whatever it's right, for you, LED lighting, those sorts of things. Making changes in how you travel, both as a business as an, as a person. You know, can you do a holiday that's close to home? Go go on a trip around Ireland instead of flying to America or something. Reducing the amount of meat you eat. So understand, because once you understand, we find that as soon as people start measuring, it's like a, it's, measurement is the gateway drug. Once people start measuring, they start wanting to work on it. It becomes addictive working on it. You start going, well, what can we do next? What are we going to make do to make a big difference this year? So understand what, you, what you're doing, get that baseline, and then start working on those most carbon-intensive activities to, to make progress. Exactly. And, and one step at a time. You don't need to change everything. Yeah. Don't suddenly become fully vegan. I'm not going to fly anywhere. I'm not going to drive anywhere. I'm going to stay in my house and not doing it. No. It's about looking at what you can do and building it up over time. And you will find that you will very naturally take on more and more different behavior changes over time. But if you try and do too much too soon, then you can end up, you know, it's like doing a diet, right? You do it all at once and, <laughs> and uh, you end, it's like New Year's resolutions. Make them achievable. Perfect. It's time for the first Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. We asked guests to nominate something that they would like to leave in the first Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. What would you put in our Hall of Fame, Andrew? I think I'd probably put a person in, a personal hero, Christiana Figueres. I'm dying to meet her. I was trying to angle for her at COP26, but she was very busy. Christiana Figueres, for those who don't know, was the architect of the Paris Climate Agreement. And she does a podcast with a, a good friend of mine, Paul Dickinson, who's the chair of CDP, and Tom Rivet Karnak called Outrage and Optimism. I thoroughly recommend it. What they did with the Paris Climate Agreement was remarkable because no one expected it. And she's writ- written some great books on the whole process as well. So fantastic. Great books and great podcasts. So yeah, I'll enter Christiana. Brilliant. Andrew, that's fantastic. Before we go, can you just tell our listeners how they will find PlanetMark or any other key websites you want to point them to? PlanetMark.com. If you'd like to connect with me, just look me up on LinkedIn. Always happy to connect with people. You can go to ZeroCarbonTour.com to learn more about the tour. You can go to CarbonCopy.eco for carbon stories, tangible examples of what people have been doing to reduce carbon emissions. And yeah, if you need support, reach out. Andrew, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on Zero Five O. Such a knowledgeable guest in this hell area. And thank you so much for your time. Fascinating episode. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bruce. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O.